This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by our super supportive patrons. You can join them over at patreon.com slash the tome show. Welcome to the Tome Book Club for February of 2021. Wait, February? Shh. It's still February. I swear, we weren't, we weren't delayed because I listened with a nine-year-old and we just didn't get it, the book read in, in time. 2021? <laughs> Feels like March 2020. But hey, still. hey, hey. I'm going to take 2021. <laughs> okay. Let's go with 2020. 2020 was not okay, and I am, I am okay. With, I, I'm, I'm not going to relive it. No, we can be in 2021. <laughs> The Tome is a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Tracy Hurley. And I'm Jeff Greiner. In each book club episode, we discuss one D&D-related book, spoilers be damned, in full book club style. Uh, and our book this time around is The Hammer of Thor by Rick Riordan. The Hammer of Thor on Thor's Day. We're recording on Thursday. So it's, it's, uh, it's auspicious. It is a sign. Uh, and with us, as always, is Eric Paquette. Hello. Bonjour. Eric, who is holding up the cover of the book for those folks who are joining us in the stream. Um, so that is uh, the extra excitement you get when you join us for the live recordings. You also get the unedited uh, parts where I don't say words well. Uh, and that's that's fun, too. Tracy and I cannot hold up the cover of the book because we both listen to it. So I would have to hold up my phone. And now everybody can read my notifications. <laughs> so, excellent radio. Yeah. Yes. So our next episode, which we'll record towards the end of April, probably, we'll be reading the Sea of the Dead, the Ship of the Dead. I mean, sorry, by Rick Riordan. Uh, and Tome Show Book Club first. We aren't just dipping in and out of book series. We're gonna stay here till the conclusion. Yeah, yep, we've we've decided uh, as of I guess the, the last book choice when we went straight from book one into book two of this Magnus Chase series that uh, that we're just going to do that now. So I think maybe after we finish this series, we'll we'll go back and finish some of the other series that we've that we've started but never finished. So figure out what the heck is going on with all these other stories. Uh, before we get started, though, I do want to say thank you to our Tome Show patrons. Uh, the Tome Show patrons, uh, there are 29 of them, are some of the best people around, and I want to share my appreciation with them. Uh, you will notice that I am not going to be talking much about Amazon anymore for reasons that they never explained to me. They've recently canceled our status as an associate, uh, so uh, I can't share um, the Amazon affiliate um, gift cards they sent every month with the contributors, which I always like to use to show appreciation for all the work that they do. Uh, right now, the Patreon uh, helps pay the bills and, and saves up a little bit. Uh, but if we can pick up enough extra patrons along the way, maybe I can try to at least once a year send some appreciation to all of the wonderful people who help make the show possible. All the hosts, all the editors that you may or may not ever hear from, uh, the artists when we need to commission art, um, others. We've got um, Ishmael, our, our uh, social media manager who regularly appears on episodes. Um, all of those people I like to show appreciation to. So if you want to uh, help make that possible, come uh, consider if you can. Uh, if you are able to, uh, hopping over to patreon.com slash the Tome Show, become a patron, show your support, and and I will uh, I will love getting to a point where I can regularly sort of divvy that up and, and show appreciation to all of the people who make the show possible. Now, on to the book. We are talking about the Thor of Hammer. The ha Thor of Hammer? The Hammer of Thor. That makes more sense. The second book in Magnus Chase in the Gods of Asgard series, um, which is the one, two, three, fourth series in the sort of Rick Riordanoverse, right? Uh, there was the two Percy Jackson series and the one, the Kane Chronicles, which is actually one of my favorites. Um, and then, then 
this one, which happens kind of concurrently with another series, uh, something like the Trials of Apollo or the Trial of Apollo or something like that. Um, and so, it, and we know it's happening concurrently because not only were they published sort of intermixed with each other, but um, there are characters that cross over from the two. Uh, Annabeth from the Percy Jackson series uh, occasionally pops in and makes a cameo in the Magnus Chase um, books that we've read so far. Uh, and I do have to be extra careful because I have, uh, because it takes me a little longer because I'm listening to this on my commute with my youngest son. Um, I went ahead and went straight from finishing book two into listening to book three. So I'm already like four or five chapters into the next book. Um, so I don't want to mix up what happens where. <laughs> so. Spoilers be damned, but spoilers be damned for this book. Well, spoilers be damned for this book. That's right. I don't want to spoil you for a book you may not have read yet. So, this book is about Magnus Chase, Samir, Hearthstone, Blitzen, and Jack. That's sort of our party, right? That's what how it starts out, but we do get introduced to uh, Alex. Alex Fiera, right who is a new character, a new member of the party that joins in. So, so Magnus Chase is the son of Frey. Samir is a Valkyrie. Loki. Oh, and the daughter of Loki. Yes. Uh, Alex, the new character is a daughter of Loki. Uh, Hearth or Hearthstone is an elf. They are he or she because they are gender fluid and non-binary. So, Daughter or son of Loki, depending on which way they are presenting. No, yep, you're right. Um, yeah, they they mentioned at some point, and this may be not really a spoiler for the next book, but but um, Magnus mentions at one point that they normally identify female, but not always. Not um, and in fact, there has been large chunks of what I've read so far where where they identify as he. Um, and somehow Magnus develops the magic power to be able to know how Alex is identifying at any given moment, even when yep. Alex has to stop and like think about it. Yeah, at the end of the ep- at the end of the book, Magnus he goes to talk to Alex and refers to he, even though previously there were she, and then during the conversation changes the pronoun to she and just realizing by via instinct, mm-hmm. which I found was really cool. Uh, and then, and then I don't know if I mentioned Blitz. Blitz is the, the dwarf. Um, so we got the crafter artificer character. We've got Hearth, the wizard, right? If we had to give them classes, what are they? <laughs> <laughs> Sam is the paladin, maybe. Uh, Magnus is a fighter. Sure. I would say Alex would probably be the druid because I'd be able to shapeshift. Oh, the shapeshifting. See, I was going to go rogue because she's uh, – or she, she, he, they, depending on the moment. Um, they don't know. They just come off a little more clever, a little more a little more sly. Yeah. Could be multi-class. So. Right. And, and, I mean, ultimately, it's not – it doesn't really matter. Uh, they don't map necessarily to D&D. Um, but so the the whole shtick here is that Samir has been promised to marriage to a was an earth giant which is particularly problematic not only because she did not agree to be promised to marriage to the earth giant but she's also already uh, has an arranged marriage to somebody else. Uh, yes, because of her, because Samara, from what I told, she is Muslim, from what I recall. <laughs> does, and does her, her mortal family have already made the arrangement for her to be with? And she actually likes the, 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 the guy. So, but Loki decided to do a, arrange a marriage with Thrym, son of Thrym, son of Thrym, son of Thrym. Right. Thrym, Thrym. Totally with, totally with her best interests at heart. Of yes. course, yes. Well, that's, that's, <laughs> that's Loki. I mean, Loki right. is the best parent there is. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
It's interesting. That is not going to happen. It was interesting. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I've been playing Descent into Avernus with my sons on um, Sundays. And a couple of weeks ago, they were given the task of freeing Kostachi, the demon lord, so that he would go after Zeriel, who stole his hammer. And it specifically mentions in the book that that Kostachi's hammer was was crafted by none other than Thrym. Uh, and, and so my youngest was like, Hey, we, we know that character. We know who Thrym is, right? Cause, <laughs> cause of the, uh, listening to these books together. Um, so yeah, so, so, and it's, it's assumed pretty much from go that Loki is manipulating things for his own benefit. Oh yeah. Um, they, they sort of suspected that from the first book. Oh Yeah. Yeah, so this is more like, okay, <laughs> Loki's obviously up to something. What is it? But we still, because it actually starts out by the fact that one of the, uh, I believe it was uh, Otis, the one of the goats of the Thor, goats. Uh, coming to uh, Magnus because the Thor's hammer, the title of the book, right. it's still missing. Right. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Can't mention it. Uh, we, we can't talk about it. We don't want the giants to find out. Otherwise, they'll attack. But the giants are starting to suspect. Right. The giants are starting to gather. They're starting to suspect. Thrym is expecting the... Uh, well, no. Thrym has the hammer. Yeah. Um, it is the the traditional gift to the bride. The Was it the morning after the wedding? Yeah. The bride receives the gift, and the gift for this wedding will be Thor's hammer. Um, and they are sent off early on to uh, what what is basically a tomb full of whites, um, where they find the the sword. Uh, Sum, Sum, no, is it Sumabrander? No, that's Jack. The Skof, the Skofnung sword. Yeah, it's confidential. Tracy shakes her head to tell me I'm wrong, but she doesn't tell, you know, just speak up. <laughs> <laughs> I give you a chance to correct yourself. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they get the Skofnung sword, um, which Jack tells us is a total hottie. Yep. And, yep. and is also female. Yep. And can't, is it, can't be unsheathed and. In the presence of a yeah. woman. Cannot, cannot be unsheathed in the presence of a woman. Yeah. Um, that, that's a talk about Jack. That's one thing that's a recurring thing is the fact that uh, Jack has a, quite a social life and dates a bunch of weapons from the book. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> spoiler, this comes up again pretty early on in the next book as well. So, <laughs> yeah. And doesn't it require blood in order to sheath it again after you've taken it out oh i don't remember that might have been a thing that it can only be it can be drawn when there's no women present and that it can only be sheathed after it's drawn blood is that how it is i think so I it's been vague, a little while i kind of vaguely recall and it doesn't really play out as that important no it doesn't play out as important all that i mean i my favorite tv show had such a weapon there was no specific it was just tradition, and the person who had it, when he drew it, went to resheat it, he would cut his himself and then sheet it. Mm. So, which is like, okay, that's a way to do it. It's painful, but hey. <laughs> right. So. And okay. doesn't it have a partner magical item that is missing? It is does, there? yeah. Yes. But, do, but do they do they know that yet? I'm trying to think of what happened after they went to the, the Barrow Whites. The Barrow Whites. Uh, I'm getting a little well, bit of anxiety. After they got it, because they were trying to get there, they found the oh. because they wanted to get Taurus Hammer. They didn't know that at that point in time. Yeah, and that's Loki appeared uh, with, un- with Uncle Randolph. The, the, the sword and the whetstone will be the Sam's bride price, right? The but show. but then they guarantee they 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 force them to go and recover the stone by Randolph. Uh, shoving the sword through the chest of Blitzen, um, and and Blitzen is going to die, 
and then they have the brilliant idea of let's drag Blitzen out into the yard before he dies because dwarves turn to stone in sunlight. Um, and so then he turns to stone and they figure, okay, now we've got a chance to heal him. But the only way to heal him is with the Skofnung stone, which is the the whetstone that can sharpen the Skofnung blade. And it just so happens that Hearthstone's dad has the Skofnung stone. And so we now we're going to get to find out about Hearthstone's sort of background. Hearthstone is not just an elf and not just the sort of party runecaster wizard, um, but Hearthstone is also deaf. Um, and that becomes pertinent as we get into his background because he's always sort of been an exile from his family. Tracy, you look like you want to say something. Before we go there, we should talk about the Democratic whites or the... Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Tell us about that, Trace. Uh, so they, um, they're Vikings. I forget exactly who they are, though. Prince something or other? Caught in the... They're caught in there. Yeah, he, the one guy was some, was some sort of royalty. Prince or king yeah. or whatever, but... Is now... They're now kind of like zombies? I couldn't remember if they're quite zombies or quite truly whites, but... They all do everything by Robert's Rules of Order. Right. And, <laughs> and they have to vote on what they do, and they have to follow the rules. Right. and they, So they had to have a, a quick discussion, debate, vote, before they could agree to fight and try to kill our, our party of heroes. Which our, our heroes use to their advantage. Right. It's by time. <laughs> So yes, then they decide to head off um, to recover the Skofnung stone in order to save Blitz. Um, they lose... Alex isn't with them yet. And they lose Sam. Because it's just Magnus and and Hearth. And then they have stoned Blitzen with them. Yeah, because they have to go back to Boston mm-hmm. via plane. And I, isn't that when we meet Sims intended. Well, we met him. In well, I mean, one. like really, like talk to him, I guess. Oh, oh, oh. And flight instructor. Yeah, because there, there was a whole thing about him being exposed to all the craziness of. Oh, that you're right, uh, because that's how they get to. Um, I forget the pronunciation or, the, or what the name of the elf world is, but they get there by jumping out of the plane. Yeah. Elfheim. Elfheim. That's such a hard name to remember. For elves, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so we meet him, and so she goes with him, and they jump out of the plane to go to Alfheim. Um, and they end up in the middle of the elven world, but the elven world has basically lost sight of all the magic. Like, so far as we know, uh, our, our character, Hearth, is the only one who had enough interest in old elven magic that they've learned how to start using the, the runes to, to use magic again. Uh, all the other elves are, they're basically just, what, haughty urban humans, right? Uh, and so they get arrested and um, by, what, Officer, like, Morning Glory or whatever his name is, and because and, they have, of course, still elfy names. Yeah. Uh, and taken to Hearth's dad's estate. Great Gatsby. Kind of, yeah. Uh, and we get this whole backstory of for Hearth. How about somebody else tells us the backstory for Hearth so I don't have to talk the whole time. <laughs> People get tired of hearing, about, hearing from me. Hearth was there, I guess, the day that his brother died? Is that part of what you're talking about? Like, they were very young... Uh, Hearth couldn't hear the cries from his brother. Uh, this I forget what exact magical creature basically yeah. took his brother out. And his dad in particular, and to, I think some to degree his mom, has blamed Hearth ever since. And so in order to to get back into the good graces of his family, he has to pay, was it the price or something like that? that it's they a, call it's it? a wear guild. 
Yeah. Which which and is a term I'm only familiar with because I've listened to a bunch of Dresden Files books and it comes up in their lot. Yeah, the Word Guild's the man price. Yeah. Um and and thus he has to fill this rug full of treasure. Yeah, it's it's the the skin of the creature that killed his brother, and he has right. to basically every time he does good things or does chores or whatever around the house or whatever, he gets a certain amount of gold and he just keeps having to earn it and earn it and earn it until he has completely covered every hair on the rug. No part of the rug can be visible. And and if he misbehaves, he loses coins. And so, of course, he barely or, has anything there and he, he's been indebted for his whole life. Right. Or heck, needs a meal. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's like a big long, I don't know, I envision it like a big chalkboard on the on the wall uh, with all of the different things, all the different ways that he can earn and lose money from his Varigild. And basically ever since the thing happened, that had become his life because that's basically all you see in his room uh, when they walk in is is stuff dealing with that and, and just the heavy price he paid mm-hmm. um, for that day. Until eventually he just he just skipped town and left, and that's that's when he ran into Mag. Well, I guess that's when he ran into Mimir, who then put him onto Magnus that we learned about in the first book. Right, and so his dad says, in order to get the whetstone, two things have to happen. He has to fulfill his obligation mm-hmm. with the Weirgeld, and then Magnus has to uh, go to parties. <laughs> And, until until it's paid off, yeah. Until it's paid off and make his dad feel good. <laughs> well, and and it's tricky as well because all of the all of the treasure that he earns to pay off the Ware Guild has to be done on his father's property. Like you can't leave and go somewhere else and get the treasure and bring it back. Right. Uh, and so that becomes problematic until they they figure out that. There is a, a a being on the property hiding in a in a like a pond or a wa- by a waterfall or whatever it is, um, and I forget was it a it's a dwarf. It was a dwarf that's a disguised been dwarf. Yeah, yeah, a disguised dwarf who's legendary for having all this treasure, um, and and it, they believe it's hiding on the property. So that's the only way to do this, but you got to deal with this dwarf. And that's that's also when we find out that um, Harth's when they go out to the pond and we find out because they stop by the well where his brother died, we find out that his set of runes that he uses to do magic is missing one rune um, that has been left behind sort of in memory of his brother. But then we also learn later on that no set of runes is as powerful as it can be when it's incomplete. So if he had that rune in his set of runes, all of his magic would be more powerful. But he doesn't want it yet. No. I forget what the rune was. It was the rune of something, but... Yeah. Regret but he or inheritance or something like that. Yeah. He does get a new set of runes, which are an upgrade from what I recall, mm-hmm. but it's still missing that one rune. And- right. He, yeah, he gets that. He gets a new set later. Later. Yeah. Uh, so they go to the pond. They find the dwarf who's hiding at the bottom of the pond in the form of a fish, uh, which they are eventually able to figure out because um, was it with one of his runes? Um, Hearth uses magic to basically what is it? Pick up all the water or evaporate all the water? Blast it with lightning or something like that, as I recall. Um, and then Magnus finds that his healing abilities kind of extend out and he has this sort of low level psychic ability and is able to figure out that one of the fishes was thinking in English basically, and that that must be the one. Uh, and so they capture him, they get his treasure, uh, and they learn or Magnus learns that there is a curse associated with the treasure, specifically with the ring included in the treasure um and that eventually you know it's like this this guy's treasure gets stolen it's just part of his story right his treasure gets stolen 
They they whoever steals it wears the ring. The ring is cursed, and so they end up losing all the treasure shortly thereafter. But they decide that they're willing to deal with the consequences because they they don't need the treasure for very long. They need it for long enough to cover this rug and move on to save their friend. Mm. Cool. Tay Tay Sleedy are losing the treasure by giving it away to. <laughs> What's that? And, so. as I, and as I recall, the dad ends up taking the ring, doesn't he? Well, when they put all of the treasure on the rug, there is one hair that still ah. sticks up. And thus, the ring gets added to the treasure. Right. And that finishes it off. And then dad takes all the treasure, including the ring. And Hearth is like, oh, you, you gotta watch out. You know, you know that ring is cursed. And dad's all arrogant and greedy and takes it anyway. And then they still have to fulfill the obligation of the party. But, of course, the party ends up being, um, uh, what, a a bit of a betrayal? Uh, uh, (laughs) A trap? It's a trap. Right? Um, (laughs) But, long story short, I guess, they, they escape. They get this stone. They fix Blitzen. Yeah, they heal him, they escaped him, and then they return back to Midgar and go see Alex and Sam, where they go to visit uh, Heimdall. Is this when they go to Heimdall? Okay. Yeah, to basically be able to find Urdgar Loki. Yeah, which is another one of those moments where they describe a very specific location where they're hanging out to and where they find Heimdall, and I thought to myself, hmm, it's been a long time since I've been to Boston. I don't know any of what they're talking about, but I bet local folks are familiar like with these landmarks. Is that true, Tracy? You used to live there. Yeah, and I just don't remember with this exact one, but I didn't go bowling very much. Because that's what we're talking about now, right? Yeah, the bowling alley. Yeah. Is that uh, Was it a bowling alley? Well, I think it was a bowling alley. For Heimdall? I just remember they were on top of something and there was like neon signs and stuff and then they looked up and there was the Rainbow Bridge. There's a definitely... A, I don't remember it being a bowling alley, I'm sure. Oh, oh, oh wait. You're talking first about the Rainbow Bridge which was near Fenway. Is that what it was? Yeah. I thought so. But I could be wrong. I believe you. So they, they, they meet Heimdall. Uh, Heimdall... Oh, and... Uh, Samir's um, betrothed is there as well. Yes, uh, because they're they, they're dealing with the fact that like his when mortals are exposed to this kind of stuff in a way that their brain can't just sort of deny it because normally the people just ignore craziness going on; they just don't notice it. Um, but when they can't ignore it like what he's going through oftentimes their brains have to sort of bend to absorb it or they break and they go crazy um and they manage to keep him from going crazy in part it seems because of magnus's sort of healing abilities sort of help keep him stable Frey, who's a healing god right is able to use that to protect right uh the so they go. They they meet Heimdall on on the what I've always called Bifrost, but in the audiobook they pronounce Bifrost. I've always read it as Bifrost, but right, there was a few a few uh, pronunciations uh, where I'm used to Marvel comics and movies, and so I've pronounced them one way, and then um, they're pronouncing them other ways, and I'm like, oh, now I want to know if. Like I just don't didn't know, or that they messed up. I don't know because because they say Bifrost, uh, and they say um, Thor's wife is Sieve, not Sif. They pronounce it like a V, so that was new to me as well. Seems makes sense from what I understood of the Nordic languages. But sure, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> So Heimdall is not at all like the Marvel movies. Uh, no. He is—he is not Idris Elba. Uh, he is—he's really into taking selfies and posting on social media and doing all those awesome things, right? He's very much into 
connecting people and looking at see when you can look at anything might as well just go to all the social media right so they are able to from him figure out that Mjolnir is not must be buried somewhere deep underground basically because Heimdall can see anywhere in the nine worlds unless it's eight miles underground or more so the hammer must be buried deeper than eight miles underground because that's the only place that Heimdall can't see it so they figured that only like basically a nerf giant would be able to do that like Thrym Mm -hmm. And this is when they end up working their way towards the bowling alley, right? Yeah, they were doing the, I think I think Ufgar Loki is found at the at the bowling alley. Yeah, they're they're looking for Uthgar Loki, who is not Loki. It is a giant who happens to have the name Loki just like Loki does, because Loki is just a name. Yeah. <laughs> And Loki's also have giants, so hey. True. Uh, but I forget, what are they looking for? What do they want Uthgart Loki for? Do you remember, Eric? Or Tracy? I forget what the whole point of even going to the ball. It was an interesting and fun scene, but I don't remember yeah. why they went. Maybe. Wasn't Uthgart Loki the one who knew information, so they were trying to find where Trim was? Maybe. It, it was. I think it was an information gathering task. Yeah. Was it to find the location of the wedding? But they're just waiting for the invite to eventually update. Maybe because the because yeah they got have invites to the wedding and the location, um, the the date keeps changing or at least how long it is like in so many days and then it counts down it changes. Yeah. But then it also says that the location wouldn't be announced until like the day of. Oh. So it just says, you know, or, to TBA or whatever until, until you know, the day of. It'll tell you where to go. Um, in any case, they go to they go to the, the world of the giants um, to look for Uthgart Loki, and they run into a giant named Tiny. Is that mm-hmm. right? I think so, so. Yeah, something to that effect. You know, a giant who uh, turns out to be one of the runts of the giants. Um, who agrees to um, basically to to afford them guest rights to invite them to the bowling alley um, if they carry his bowling bag to the bowling alley. Yes, which uh, let's let's yeah. help out for that. Right. <laughs> so the bowling bag is way too big, and uh, as I recall, Hearth is not with them at this point. So they don't have magic to use, but Blitz knows apparel. So he treats it like an accessory. He uses Jack to fly around and weave runes into it. Uh, Alex is with them, by the way, at this point from the Heimdall meeting yeah. on. Um, yeah, and... because the bag is not finished and it does not have a name. Right. Urban items need a name to be finished. Right, and so he's going to weave some runes into it, sew some runes into it in order to finish it, to name it, but also, as it's being finished, add some properties to it, such as the ability to make it shrink and grow to full size. um, With the ever-so-clever password of password. Uh, So they're able to show up to the bowling alley. They they present the bowling bag um, to Tiny... And they're effectively given a series of challenges um, to complete in order to prove their worth. Yeah, prove their worth, survive the the encounter, get the information they need, whatever. Um, and they're a series. This actually, so last no two summers ago, I listened to um, Neil Gaiman's North, Norse mythology book. We did that for this. Oh yeah, okay. So and and there was the the story in there that um, talked about sort of Thor dealing with shape changing giants and uh, having to to overcome these challenges, including like drinking the endless mead horn and whatever. And then they actually referenced that uh, in this 
in this bit, right? They were doing these challenges, uh, and they're like, you know, you 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 all handle this a lot differently than than the gods normally do. Thor shows up, and we give him a challenge, and he just tries to drink the entire ocean. And I'm like, hey, I know that story. We read that. <laughs> so. Same here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but they they overcome the challenges by recognizing that there's tricks and finding ways to basically cheat, which is exactly what the giants would have done. What giants don't cheat? <laughs> so they actually they just get creative with the rules, right? Well, and that, that's you know that's more or less how they how they justified it here, right? They got creative with the rules, um, and they managed to win the the challenges, the various challenges, um, and as as their reward. Um, they get like what a five minute conversation with with Gart Loki, um, who totally wanted to help them but couldn't lose um, lose the respect of his his people by just giving them what they want. Uh, so they get five minutes, and they're like five minutes. Yeah, five minutes. It's not like they're not going to kill you. They just you successfully completed the challenges, so you get to talk to me for five minutes before they rush out of the bowling alley kill, to kill you. And Hurry so, up! Yeah. So. So Uthgart Loki drops some knowledge on them. I don't actually even remember exactly well, what they learned. Where Thrym is. Uh, also the fact that uh, part of the uh, the bright the, the, that the, the sword is to be given to uh, Loki oh. at the bride price. As, uh, the, as the, the father of the bride, yeah. And thus the sword can be used to cut and free Loki from where he is. Right. But they but they also figure out that he needs the stone because cutting through Loki's bonds would destroy the blade. But with the stone, you can sharpen the blade to cut the rest of the bonds. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is where it becomes obvious that as much as it felt like um, Rick Riordan had perhaps diverged a little bit from the formula that he tends to use for every single one of his stories. This is where it became more clear that no, he just sort of, he just didn't make it clear through the first book what the big bad threat was. Um, But really he's still following the exact same formula. (laughs) I don't know if Tracy, have you read other Rick Riordan books? I don't believe so. Okay. I know, I know, I know Fred is a fan, but I didn't know if you had, had you, have you read Americ? Nope, this is my first series by Rick Riordan. So the 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 shtick is you've got some sort of magical, usually half god teenager uh, who goes off to a sort of mundane place full of other half god teenagers to to learn about who they are and what their abilities are. Um, they sort of spend the first part of the story learning about themselves and learning about this larger sort of apocalyptic threat that could end all of civilization. They spend the middle part of the story trying to stop the threat from being let loose and starting the apocalypse. And ultimately, um, and this is why the way this book goes, uh, and we're spoilers be damned anyway, but we've all read the book. Uh, but this is why by the end of the book, I was absolutely not shocked in any way, shape or form that Loki was set free because that's how literally every Rick Riordan book works <laughs> is there's a big ap- apocalyptic threat that's trapped trying to get free. And ultimately by the end of the middle of the story, whether it's two books in or, or one book in or three books in because the series are different lengths. Eventually the big bad gets out and then the, the next book becomes, or the next part of the story becomes, okay, now how do we like set things right again? <laughs> Isn't that just Norse mythology? Well, then that's a lot of story, but not, <laughs> not necessarily. I mean, it's, it's real. Like every single story follows the same pattern. So yeah. if he, if he did it once, I wouldn't. It wouldn't stand out to me, but every single story. <laughs> oh, this oh no, I was just. I was just suggesting that maybe it blends in even more though with these oh, books. It does because a lot of the stories from that uh, Neil Gaiman book were like that. It's like mm-hmm. this apocalyptic thing is about to happen. Oh, and they're maybe able to unwind most of it at the end. Well, yeah, and and I mean even. My understanding of Norse mythology is that even when Ragnarok, which is sort of their apocalypse, happens in Norse mythology, it's still not the end. It's just the end of sort of that age, and then they continue on, and the cycle starts anew. Yeah. Um, 
So who knows if that's what where this will go in the end. But this, yeah, this Norse mythology particularly lends it well to the formula that Rick Riordan uses over and over again. Uh, you know, setting aside the Hotel Valhalla as opposed to, you know, because Magnus goes to a hotel to learn about his abilities and hang out with his kind, whereas Percy Jackson goes to a... Um, goes to a, a, a summer camp to hang out with, with other demigods and learn about his powers. And I think in the Kane Chronicles, is it, I think they maybe hang out in the library or something, you know, it's some other sort of similar thing. It's a little different because there's not others of their kind and they're not demigods. They're like descended from Egyptian wizards or whatever. But that's one of the reasons I like the Kane Chronicles because it actually diverges from what you expect necessarily. There's still a lot of like, Oh no, the apocalypse is going to happen. Oh no, it actually happened. <laughs> and then they have to yeah. make it right again. But well, lots of myth have apocalypse situations to be able to end a myth and try to prevent or, but in the stereotype sort of story, the good guys stop the apocalypse from happening, but that's never what happened in a required book. <laughs> so, so, but yeah, no. So after learning this from Uvgar Loki, and that's where they decide to actually, well, they're going to, in order to get the hammer and stop the invasion of the giants and all, they actually have to go through the wedding. The only problem is, is that Sam doesn't want to go through the wedding. She, she said she's already been doing that. She will never, she even told Loki she will not. And, so. and she actually made a – she swore uh, yep. an oath or a promise to her betrothed that she would not go through with the wedding. Yeah. Even, she will even, 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 even to pretend, yeah. Yeah, she won't. They take a page out of Loki's book yes. to deal with the ridiculousness that Loki set up. But before yes. this, is this where they stop at um, Magnus's uncle's house and they find the the picture – of Bridal Veil Falls. Some point they do. I don't remember exactly when. I don't remember when. exactly when either. But at some point they do, and they find this picture of Bridal Veil Falls that uh, Magnus's uncle has like marked in some way, and they f- they think that maybe the uncle is trying to give them a hint that that's the location of where they're gonna where they're gonna enter to the wedding. Because the, in- the the issue they they learn is not that. Um, they don't know where the entrance is. It's that the entrance to the location keeps moving. Uh, and so that'll be where it is on wedding day. So yes, now it's time to, they've got the information, they know what needs to be done, and they, they think they know where it's going to be. Now it's time to put together a plan. Yeah. Uh, and to do that, they're going to need help. But yes, they, as, you, as you said, Tracy, they take a page from Loki's playbook, and they have Alex will be the pretend to be Sam. <laughs> oh, in fact, it wasn't even... That's how they escaped the... That's how they escaped the giants, wasn't it? The giants were going to kill him from the bowling alley and they escaped because Sieve opened like a, a doorway in a tree and they escaped into Asgard sure. uh, from Sieve. Uh, and from there, they, they concocted this plan of Alex taking the form of Sam and Sam being sort of the bridesmaid or whatever. They're all going to be wearing veils, so that'll help with the disguise. Um, and then, of course, they, they work out with Thor because it's Thor's house. Uh, yeah. um, what was the, what was Thundercrack? Is that what the name of the the place was? Thor's home? It was something crack. Brightcrack. Brightcrack. The, the name of, of, of Thor's home is Brightcrack, which it took me a minute to figure out that, oh, it's a reference to lightning. Lightning looks like a, a bright... Crack. Oh. I just thought somebody's um, pants were hanging low and they didn't have a lot of sun. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I would say you've uh, help out uh, that uh, basically Alex and some Sam get makeovers to be able to. Uh, to be able to be ready for the for, for the wedding, and, and uh, Thor is going to gather up the the Aesir, the gods, yeah. and and they're going to sort of hang out by Bridal Veil Falls and sneak in. I'll, 
all stealthy like for the yeah. wedding to be like commandos. Um, and Hearth and Blitz go take the world tree back to Valhalla to gather up the, all of the friends. And man, did this book in some ways just absolutely follow the formula of the first book, right? Big bad, big bad's gonna escape. We need to stop big bad from escaping now. Go gather up all of our friends that we've basically ignored since the beginning of the book. <laughs> to show up and be our army. <laughs> it, it, it's the Norse way. I mean, it is like, oh, look, Armageddon's going to happen, so the Battle of the Enihar or can come in and fight this big, huge battle to win right. the day. Although it, I feel a little bit bad for all the uh, Inheri, right? Because, uh, you know, they, they, they seem to be interesting characters with interesting personalities, and we get to sort of meet them all at the beginning of each book and then they show up at the end of the book to, to sort of fight the battles for them and uh, we don't see or hear much of anything in, in between. Yeah, yeah so they, they gather up their plan. They get Thor, they get the their allies, their commando allies, um, and they know where they're going to go and how they're going to make sure that Sam can not break her vows. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, I guess it doesn't really even matter to Loki, right? Uh, because Loki doesn't actually need it to be Sam. He just needs it to be one of his children. Yeah. It's that way he the sword can be given to him. Right. And so ha- having it be Alex or Sam isn't really important. Uh, Loki is is three steps ahead of everybody else, as, as Loki tends to be, right? Yeah. But it sort of matters for Trim. They like to. They don't like to be tricked, even though they know that Loki will trick them. Sure. So. Although Trim's sister doesn't care. Yeah, Trim's sister doesn't care. Trim got well, <laughs> well, and ultimately, it turns out Trim doesn't care for very long, because um, oh. the whole wedding sort of goes sideways, right? They they manage to get everybody into Brightervale Falls. That is the location. They get uh, all the people in, but there are wards set up so the Aesir cannot enter. And so they're looking around thinking, did Thor and the other gods sort of sneak in? But the door was barely open and they're not sure what's going on. They go down for the wedding. They they um, sort of delay for as long as they can. They make sure the hammer is around, um, etc. Uh, and then like uh, a tunnel opens up in the, in the cave that they're in basically. Because they're in the... Um, Loki needs to be there in person, so they're actually doing the wedding in the the hidden chamber where Loki has been tied up. Right, Loki's been imprisoned since who knows how long, and and this is part of Norse mythology that Loki is sort of tied up um, with the intestines of one of his own children, with a snake constantly dripping. Uh, so it comes off as like acidic venom, but uh, this venom uh, is constantly dripping in his face, uh, torturing him, and and that's sort of where Loki's been for centuries. Uh, or longer, and so they have the 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 wedding there, so that Loki can be actually be physically in attendance. Um, the the uh, Inheri with Blitz and Hearth actually show up first, and the battle sort of begins, um, and then eventually Thor and the gods show up, um, and they bring the one what is it the god of like the god of vengeance who's got like the the shoe made from the remnants of every shoe that's ever existed that he just uses to stomp everything. And so then, yeah, so battle ensues, the bad guys are defeated, whatever, but while the fight is happening, uh, Magnus's uncle, Randolph, takes the Skofnung sword, cuts the bonds of Loki, uses the stone to resharpen it, cuts the other half of the bonds from Loki, and Loki escapes. So Loki is escaped and Loki disappears and the gods don't even pursue. Oh, we'll get him. No big deal. Cause that's sort of the Thor way. Right. Uh, and that's, that's more or less how the story ends. Right. Did I miss anything? The, uh, Magnus and his hallmates gather up basically after that, uh, because, uh, Randolph is killed off by the sword, the spirit mm-hmm. of the sword. Uh, but that, but the mortals and you know, go back to Hotel Valhalla. They celebrate our, their glorious battle, and then uh, Magnus, Alex, and Sam are pulled aside by Heigl, 
where they are given their next, well, Sam is given her next mission, which is recapture Loki. Right, and and ultimately, um, the way it works out, they've got time. Because for Loki to sort of start Ragnarok and begin the end of the world, uh, he has to sail his, was it the Ship of Nails? Is that what it was? The Ship of Nails, the uh, Nagflar. Yeah, the the ship that's made out of all of the like clippings of of people's nails that have collected over time, and and so it gets bigger and bigger with time and whatever. Uh, but it is it is frozen in the ice between different worlds right now, and so they have to wait until midsummer, or Loki has to wait until midsummer when his ship will be will be freed from the ice to really begin the end of the world, and so they have until midsummer to to prepare. And to help or to try to find Loki. Which is at that point where uh, Magnus contacts his cousin, uh, Annabeth. Right. Because he needs the help of her boyfriend, Percy Jackson. Right. Because if you know know any of the Percy Jackson stories, Percy is a demigod and his father is Poseidon. So if you're going to have to go on a sea voyage... Get help from a, a, a sea demigod. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's more or less the the story, right? Did we miss anything? Any particular thoughts that we thought were interesting or um, particularly D and D ish to us? Well, the the whole quest of going to one place to get something and then oh no, you have to go next. No, that's that's very very. You sure. see a lot in adventures where you have the A B C D. Quests, mm-hmm. and 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 I mean the they've formed by this point, and and really by partway through the first book they form a proper party. Yeah, um, and so they have although they don't stick with the party, they split the party a lot. <laughs> you know, yes, which is not really D and D, but it it works. <laughs> sure, I I mean it takes a Rick Riordan books take a much more. Um, I don't know, a lighthearted approach to, you know, all the references, the modern references and the goofiness and all that kind of stuff. It's a lot of fun for a book to read, but I don't know that I would want to inject it into my game. But there's also a lot of like, there's still a lot of things that could easily be stolen and put into a D&D game that I think would work really well. A lot of the mythology and the way they've reworked it and... um and all of that. I think there's a lot of cool ideas here. And there are games that do like to be like that. There like mine. My, <laughs> yeah, my, my games too. We like to be lighthearted and just make jokes and just reinsert it in there. There's also some classic D&D adventures. I mean, the classic Castle of Greyhawk has lots oh, yeah. of pop culture references in there, like the the amazing Drider Man. Right. I mean, there are certainly. I I have certainly built games that have. And I my last um, campaign in North Carolina was a post-apocalyptic fantasy Earth. So they would occasionally run it. You know, we a dungeon would be made out of an old warehouse with shipping containers all over the place, full of like movie props or or gimmicky sort of uh, uh, things that were being shipped or whatever, right? Uh, so I, you know. That's always kind of fun to do, but I don't know that I would ever like. I don't know that I would ever want a a goofy Heimdall that doesn't take anything seriously and just wants to take selfies all the time. Mm. <laughs> you know, that may be a bridge too far for most of my games anyway, unless we specifically built it to be sort of that goofy, silly game. In which case, I usually only do those for for short runs, not long campaigns. Well, my current thirteenth age group. Uh, when they were at a ceramic shop, you know, they have they own a bar, and it's it's, it's a sequel to a D and D fourth edition game campaign, but they found a ceramic um, knight statue, and they brought it so they could hold a picture and all that at that bar, and they they call they call them Sir Ver. Server. <laughs> Server. So that's a level of like silliness that we have. Right. Sure. So. sure. 
I mean, honestly, I'm I'm a little surprised, given that um, was it was it one of you all or was it Fred maybe that had mentioned uh, last time when we chatted about the first book that Rick Riordan is a big D and D fan, which I hadn't known before. Given that, and given the kind of world he's created and this the characters he's created, I'm kind of surprised there's not an RPG. There's not a you know a world of Percy Jackson RPG out there. Um, yeah. Yeah, I had done the research. Yeah. You had? Yeah. yeah. Oh, go yeah. ahead, There are games that are, that are that are out there that exist. Like there is a PIP system game which is family friendly. Uh, which is called uh, Camp Myth, where it is a summer camp and you play mythological creatures. So you can, so that exists. So there are games that are out there that can possibly recreate part-time gods. Also, and you know that. what? You could. I bet you could. If you took it less seriously, you could rip off the systems from Theros and very easily do a sort of recreation of of these kinds of stories or or a, in this world. I'm gonna have to give it a shot sometime because both both of my kids have have read those books with me now at this point. So, or at least some of them. I'm the only one who gets to hear all the books, but yeah. <laughs> my and kids get to hear bits and pieces from a well. classic D and setting, Planescape. And have, where you travel along the planes and all that can easily recreate a, a game like Percy Jackson and all that. Where look, you're the, the so instead of Hotel you're in you're in Sigil, the the city of doors, where you can go to every which way. Sure. So also. All right. Any other last thoughts? I uh, think you did a good go good ahead. job highlighting different gender identities mm. and also how easily they can fit in to particularly uh, at least North Miss and probably some other stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because for Alex, like for Sam, Loki is her dad. But for Alex, Loki is the mom. And also Alex is, is themselves um, gender fluid. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, he's, I feel like Rick Riordan has gone out of his way to have um, representation in this series that he didn't have in the other series uh, in terms of uh, people with disabilities, gender fluidity. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't know that there's a lot of like in the other books that there's a lot of like racial diversity in these books. Um. I mean, the Cain Chronicles is that they're they're descended from Egyptians, so there's there's clearly some Middle Eastern heritage there. Um, it's also the only mythology that's not based out of Western civilization, although it's kind of a Western take on Egyptian mythology. So, yeah. so I think I think it, it'll be interesting to see if Rick Riordan ever expands out to. To other cultures, to non-Western perspectives, uh, but but given what he's doing, he's at least making some efforts to to have some representation that um, honestly is is probably more rare than than racial diversity in a lot of the fiction that I've read. So, but for me, uh, I was thinking a bit when you were talking about the NER that we see them briefly at the start, and then we see them at the basically at the end. Uh, from a game perspective, you could have that as you introduce them as, as that resource that they have. Right. Oh, then at the end of this year, when you really need a big battle, they cash it in and then they get to use sure. call, call the troops. Mm-hmm. So, Tracy, what did you think of the reader for the audiobook? It was a different reader than the first book. It is. It was. <laughs> and... Which one is it? This was Kieran Culkin. This is Macaulay Culkin's yeah, brother. Like, yeah, I was like, I know it's the brother. Yeah. But. It's Kieran Culkin, uh, and it threw me. It, I got used to it eventually, but I liked the reader for the first book, and I wasn't sure why yes. they changed. And then for the third book, they go back to the reader from the first book. 
And so just as I got used to Kieran Culkin, they switched it again. <laughs> so Because honestly, like, I wasn't sure that I liked his voice after I got used to the other reader. But then I got to a point where, I don't know, maybe halfway through or so, where I started recognizing, like, there was some some particular sort of actor-like choices being made to to help tell the story that I thought actually were were really good. Um, right. And and now we're I'm we're back to the other reader and he's not doing that so <laughs> right anyway I just, I was curious because because the the readers yeah. particularly stood out for me because it's it's a a little bit more celebrity reader and one with some acting background although he's never a huge actor right but right all right well I think we're done is that fair to say. That sounds fair to say. All right, then we are done. It is time to say goodbye. We want to say thank you to all of our patrons at patreon.com slash the film show and anyone else who otherwise supports and adds to our community. And if you'd like to contact us, you can send us an email, thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can call our biz line, 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. You can find me on Twitter at Sarah Dark Magic. That's Sarah with an H. And at sarahdarkmagic.com. Find Jeff at, at Squatch, uh, S-Q-U-A-C-H. Uh, Eric is at Eric M-Pack, E-R-I-C-M-P-A-Q. And the show is at The Tome Show. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Patreon, and Discord. Uh, we post it occasionally, the link to Discord. Um, but if uh, you want it, please don't hesitate to ask. And you can watch a stream of our episodes uh, twitch.tv slash tomeshow or watch the video after the fact on the Tome Show's YouTube channel. Show notes and other great shows at thetomeshow.com And I actually just changed, as one of the, th- the bookkeeping things I was doing before we started recording tonight I just changed our profile on Twitter so that it has the links to the Patreon and to the Discord the permanent link to the Discord so hopefully we can keep that community and that conversation going. Uh, but in any case that is our thoughts on the Hammer of Thor up next in April uh, we are going to be reading The Ship of the Dead by Rick Riordan the third and final book of the Magnus Chase series until then keep turning the page Tomites I'm also